0: Hey, to all the real estate professionals out there, I want to let you know The Buyer's Mind is sponsored by HomeBridge Financial. HomeBridge loan officers are experts in new home financing, and they bring sales ideas and strategies and market intelligence and programs that will help sell homes. To learn more about that, go to builder.homebridge.com. HomeBridge Financial, home financing made easy. sales professionals pop quiz what's the difference between acting out of emotion and acting emotionally let's answer that today on the buyer's mind
1: welcome to the buyer's mind
0: where we take a closer look
1: deep inside your customer's decision making mechanism
0: To reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shore. Well, welcome everyone once again to another edition of The Buyer's Mind. I am your host, Jeff Shore, and this is the podcast where we try and figure out how does our customer make a purchase decision. We believe that if we really understand the way that a buyer wants to buy, We can reverse engineer a sales presentation, make it easy for them to do just that. Joined, as always, by show producer Paul Murphy. Murph, uh, how are things in Colorado, my friend? Things are going really
1: well. Uh, The sun is out and uh, not a lot of snow.
0: Murph, we're going to talk today about uh, emotion and about uh, emotion in the role of the sales process. Do you consider yourself to be an emotional person?
1: I don't think I am, but, you know, there are moments, uh, you know, when you're watching movies or hanging with the wife or whatever, and you have emotional times, but I'm not a terribly emotional person, I don't think.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny because I think that your answer was really instructive, even from the perspective of how do you define that? What does it mean to be an emotional person? Because the reality is we are all emotional people in the sense that we are driven by our emotion. I think part of it comes down to just how we express that, right? It's it's whether we act emotionally versus having an emotion.
1: I think you're right. Um, obviously, uh, I'm not a robot. Uh, mm-hmm. I have emotions. And uh, yeah, I, I act on those. Yeah, I
0: think we all do to some extent. I, I was in a store in Charlotte. Uh, this was several months ago. And I was. Uh, I knew that my wife's birthday was coming up. And I went into a store and... There was this young lady working there and she just looked like she had a good sense of customer care and concern. And I said, Hey, listen, you know, I need to buy something for my wife and I need you to be a hero. And and she was like, Oh, goody, this will be fun, which was the right answer right from the very beginning because You know, I I clearly right from the very beginning had a problem, and I needed somebody who was going to adopt my problem, take it on as her own. And as we were going through, she ended up showing me this sweater, and she said, Let me show you why I think she liked this sweater. Not only because stars are in. There are stars on the sweater. She said, Not only because stars are in, but I'll tell you what, I bought this sweater, I loved it, and then my mom asked to borrow it for me. So I know that it's going to be cross-generational, you know, young people love it. If your wife is a little older, she'll love it too. I just think it's perfect. And there was this emotional endorsement that would have made it difficult for me to respond in any other way except to adopt that emotion. And I think that this is really, really important because... A lot of salespeople hold back. They never really demonstrate or display the very emotion that their customer needs. And make no mistake about it, we talk a lot about this on The Buyer's Mind. Your customer is an emotional person, and they're making emotional decisions. And as such, if we quench their emotional, if we hold down their emotion because we are instead very stoic and and, uh, dry and professorial in our approach, then we're going to have a very hard time allowing them to be the type of person they want. So today we're going to talk to a very passionate person, someone who is in touch with his emotion and he's not ashamed about it at all. He's an expert in social selling and uh, he is, really understands the role of emotion in the sales process. You'll hear that come through as we talk to Phil Gerbishak. All right. Just absolutely thrilled to have back on the buyer's mind. Once again, a speaker, author, trainer expert in social media and social selling Phil Gurbishak I know Phil through the National Speakers Association he's the incoming president of the Central Florida chapter very very well respected all around good guy uh Phil welcome back to the buyer's mind
2: Hey Jeff it's great to be back thanks for having me
0: We're recording this in January you're currently in Tampa please don't please tell me you don't have shorts on right now I can't lie to you Jeff <laughs> See, I, I, I didn't need to know uh, on a lum- number of different levels that you're wearing shorts right now, but, but it's killing me, killing me. Oh, well, oh, well. Uh, hey, Phil, what, I'm just always curious about this. What's the origin of the name Gerbyshek? Gerbyshak
2: is 100% Polish from my father all the way back, Anglicized about 1906 when they came over from Poland. It was Jebyshak with C's and J's and Z's and all that stuff that nobody can pronounce. So Gerbyshak yeah. is actually Anglicized, if you can believe that.
0: Got it. Got it. Does the extended family still speak Polish at all? Or is that all gone? Uh, Everybody's
2: since passed on. So
0: they don't, but
2: they did. Yeah. Great grandparents, great aunts and uncles absolutely did. They didn't speak any English actually.
0: Right. (laughs) Uh, Well, that describes a lot of people who were born and raised in the United States, (laughs) but exactly. Hey, uh, here's a question for you. Just for those who did not hear, or it's been a while since the last time you were on the program here, what do you do? And what we want is the cocktail, the cocktail party answer to what do you do?
2: Yeah. So I train salespeople on how to sell more effectively, get more leads, close my business and have better conversations with the right people.
0: And so when you're looking at that, I know your expertise is really interesting. You're, you're a former vice president of information technology for a financial services company. And I admit that I nodded off just a little bit reading that title, uh, <laughs> First of all, how does one go from an IT geek to a sales expert? And what did you learn in those days that helped you in the evolution of your career?
2: Awesome question, but let's back up just a little bit further. And let's say that I was a trainer first. I went to school to be an elementary school teacher first and taught, uh, taught before and after school and went to school to teach. So from there I went to teaching technology in a financial services company as an IT geek, right? That was my job. And by learning to teach financial professionals how to sell with technology, it made it really easy to transition to social media because I had to speak geek in ways that they understood, which helped them lead to sales, which now obviously leads me to being a sales trainer. Makes perfect sense to me.
0: It makes perfect sense. So elementary school teacher, IT geek uh, and sales trainer, Of the three, the most difficult?
2: Of the three, definitely had to be elementary school because parents don't parent. They don't Mm -hmm. care about their kids. Adults, for the most part, want to learn. Though I will say, though, the ROI of children is much greater than the ROI of your typical sales professional.
0: Sure. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, uh, When, when you think about your interest in sales, where did that really begin? Connect all those dots for us to, to go back and think there's a whole world out here that I want to be, that I want to understand and then be a part of Uh, how did that all originate?
2: Oh, well, I think probably back in high school when I was a bartender, first of all, I, Mm -hmm. I managed a supper club and I was a bartender. For those of you not from Wisconsin, a supper club is something, that people in Wisconsin do so that they can drink, eat, and then drink some more. So that's a supper club for those scoring at home, right? Um, so, yes. Yeah, but, so but, wait, wait, you got you to
0: fill in one other blank, though. You were in high school and tending bar.
2: Yeah, I was. So, yeah, I managed a supper club. My mom actually signed a permission slip, Jeff, so that I could yeah. take a wine tasting class.
0: Got it. So the rules were yeah. slightly different in Wisconsin than in other parts of the country, at least at the time.
2: They still are, actually. The Tavern League of Wisconsin still runs most of the state, and you can still get a signature from your parent or guardian that says, yes, indeed, your under-21-year-old person can drink if they're with their guardian, which could be their spouse, if you can believe that.
0: <laughs> I love it. That's great. I, just a r- real quick story here. I I managed a, a restaurant that had a big bar, a very popular bar, had to learn how to attend bar as part of that experience. And It was a Friday night, the first night when a bartender didn't show up, and I had to man one of the stations. And uh, these two... I'm not gonna, not not gonna uh, cut any corners here. These two very attractive ladies sat down right in front of me and ordered a cocktail. And you know, I grabbed, uh, I got the ice and a glass and I set it there. And you know, you got the gun with the soda, and then you got the alcohol bottle. And of course, you, you pour the shot. You want to get a little extra, so to finish with flair, you lift the bottle at the end, right? So you got that stream mm-hmm. of of alcohol that's coming out. Not calculating the fact that hanging above the station were all of the margarita glasses, and I backed <laughs> up the bottom of that bottle. In into the margarita glasses which shattered all over the bar into our ice well we had to shut down the station on a busy friday night that was my very very first time and maybe the last uh, attending bar so uh, but every every bartender i've ever known has a story to tell it's amazing yeah
2: (laughs) that's funny yeah for sure man we yeah we could talk about that another time but yeah so i went from that yeah i went from that to uh you know went to school to teach uh like i said and then I became a, I sold high-speed internet back when internet wasn't really fast. And I recognize yeah. that really serving people's needs is sales, right? Yeah, the the sure. more the more questions you ask, the more you understand, the better you can sell. So I did that was a stockbroker for a while. And then after 9-11, jumped back into IT. And again, that's kind of where the, the, the um, juxtaposition, if you will, the intersection of sales and, Uh, technology really came about. And then because of social media, right, that sales marketing tech background really helped me. I actually wrote uh, a chapter for a book called In the Age of Conversation that was all about I am not a marketer because I'm like, I have no training in marketing. I have very little training in sales, but it's absolutely a passion of mine. I love to serve and I love to help. And so sales with the side of technology, with the side of marketing is absolutely what I get to do. Every day, and a lot of training, and a lot of leading, and I absolutely love it. I couldn't be happier.
0: It's really interesting, though, because you are are teaching sales to oftentimes to people who, yeah, they may have more of a technical expertise, and I'm sure you see this a lot. I've certainly seen this a lot. Um, even this next week, I'm going to be working with a group of healthcare professionals, and they see themselves as healthcare professionals, and yet they have a sales role to what it is that they are doing? Uh, do you find that to be particularly challenging to work with people who are in a sales role almost by default but still need to learn how to how to do sales?
2: I actually prefer working with them than people who think that they're salespeople because they're actually open to learning new ways. Mm -hmm. You know, they know that they're not sales experts. And I I would say, and I, and I I mean this even humbly, I I don't consider myself a sales expert. I consider myself a service expert. I consider myself a question asking value generating machine. That's my Mm -hmm. job. It is not Mm -hmm. about selling. It's about helping people come to a decision that is mutually beneficial for them because they get what they want and mutually beneficial for me, which means I get what I want. And as a trainer now, what I want is I want them to learn and I want them to grow their business. But as a salesperson, right? You could be wanting them to, you know, to buy your software. That's kind of the end result, uh, but not always, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to think about that. And if we start at the end of that, to use steel Stephen Covey's old saw, right? If we begin at the end and work towards today, the end being, hey, I want this and hey, the customer wants this. Hopefully we find something that's mutually beneficial so we all can, have success.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you study salespeople, when you work with salespeople, when you look at our sales industry, because one of the things for people like you and I, we're, our antenna is always up, right? We always are evaluating. We're always seeing what great presentations, what poor presentations might look like. What particular sales behavior drives you kind of batty?
2: Oh, well, people that forget that you actually have to tell a little bit of story. And that means including some name drops, right? You have to include some customers that you've served and people who just show up and throw up. Those things mm-hmm. drive me nuts, man. It's, it's insane, right? People think, to your point, right, about experts, if they're in healthcare, they think that they have to tell you how the complete surgery is done. When in reality, that's not how you sell or exactly every possible side effect of this drug to a doctor when you can hand them a pamphlet and instead focus on a story that's much better for them. So I think, you know, those things kind of drive me nuts.
0: Let's let's explore that a little bit. What is it about storytelling that makes that practice particularly effective?
2: Well, storytelling adds context and context is really where it's at. Because if I just say, you know, Jeff, you should be on LinkedIn. And you're like, well, I know that but I'm not because my customers aren't there. But then if I contextualize that and I say, you know what? I understand Jeff, you might not see as a consultant that you might find value there, but you know, one of the clients that I coach is a consultant much like you and here were their challenges much like yours. And here's how they used LinkedIn to to overcome those challenges much like you could. And I Mm share that story. I talk about the results and I talk about the impact of that. That offers context so that you see that it's not just, me saying, Jeff, you need to be on LinkedIn, but really, hey, Jeff, it's in your best interest to be on LinkedIn. And it makes it a lot more memorable because stories are what we remember when facts are gone.
0: Well put. Um, you know, I'm thinking about uh, a mutual acquaintance that we have, Kendra Hall. And, mm, yeah. um, you know, she she says stories are a co-creative process because while you're telling a story, somebody else is stepping into the story living into that story. Whereas you say, if you look at it and you say, you should be on LinkedIn, that there's no story there. There's, there's nothing there that's going to compel people because ultimately it's the story that's going to get to the emotion. And I think often sales presentations that I see are so devoid of emotion where sales people are almost afraid of emotion. And I would argue that that's how people are going to make decisions anyway. Why would you not want to engage that emotion?
2: Absolutely. I mean, people do make decisions based on emotion. That's the primary way that they make them because they want to relieve a pain. They want to feel a certain way. And if we don't help them see that emotion in that they're going to make an emotion filled decision without our emotion. And I think if we want to sell the best, we have to add our emotion into that and show them how we can help them achieve those goals, help them see themselves in that story, much like you telling that story of you bartending, right? I see Mm -hmm. myself tending bar and I have stories like that. So now we've co-created that, like Kendra says, absolutely wonderful.
0: So you, you mentioned just now, you said we need to add our emotion into the mix. Let's talk about that just a little bit, because I think a lot of sales professionals are frankly afraid of being emotional themselves, of displaying any emotion. It's like, oh, I must I'm a I'm a technician. My job is to give them the information they want so that they can make an intelligent decision. And yet, you know, I look at my daughter-in-law who sells Mary Kay cosmetics and I watch her or I eavesdrop on a conversation when she's on the phone, and based on her energy and enthusiasm alone, I'm pretty sure this this product will cure cancer and her energy gets adopted by her customers whereas if she just looked at it and said well it's black and it's fine and it's you know compact and it lasts a long time and this it, just not going to help me uh, why do you think salespeople are so reticent to be able to display any of their own emotional altitude into a conversation
2: I think first it's old school training leaders who tell them that, right? They think that stoicism is the right way to sell, or they think that their emotions aren't valid. Mm-hmm. If they have the emotion at all, right? They think they're not valid. So uh, you add those two up, plus the fact that especially guys, here emotion is soft and squishy instead of mm-hmm. something that actually sells. So we have to recognize, right, emotion, passion, is not just love, right? Like we're not talking about sex here. We're talking about emotion. Like this can help you. I can help you move towards your goals. If I give you some of my emotion, if I give you some of my energy. So much like I always replace sales with service for people who don't like to sell and who get there, right? I would encourage people to remove, replace the word emotion with energy. If I want to give people my energy, well, now I can get behind that more. And if I give them that energy, whether that's strength or positivity or whatever that energy is, well, now I can help them see themselves in my story, connect those two, right? I can connect the service and the energy, and now they can find a
0: solution. Hmm. I, I think you make a really, really good point. I think when we think about emotion, we get it confused with being emotional, like, you know, I hand hate- me a Kleenex and and we're going to have a moment and I'm all verklempt right here. And I think if we look at it and, and just get into much more of the how does a human being process information and how do they make decisions? It's ver- it's the emotional core versus their logical core, and I think we all know the science is very very clear on this: that people make their decision out of their emotional core, supported with their logic. And so maybe there is some uh, a definition there that uh, salespeople need to adopt in order to get away from that. But I I agree. I think it's it's been. You know, it's it, it's it's interesting you said and I know now we're going to get into into uh, warm water, at least here. But you said that this is an issue for men more than women. I assume you're saying that because a lot of men just have a very difficult time really displaying any emotion at all.
2: Absolutely. I, I think w- as men, we're told to not be emotional. We're told to not have strong to find energy, if you will, because, you know, that is something squishy, but I can tell you there's nothing squishy about passion. There's nothing squishy about energy. It is Mm -hmm. really there folks. And you can feel it when you talk to someone just from the jump, when you walk in the room, you can feel their energy. So why not bring your energy to the game instead of being the one that gets overcome with somebody else's energy and let them win.
0: You know, you you, you watch the you, you watch a college football team on the sidelines or coming out of the tunnel or when they're still in the tunnel just before they come out and they're yelling at each other and they're jumping out. And they're hitting each other. Tell me they're not emotional. I, I mm-hmm. mean, that's all you see is emotion. Uh, but you're right. It's like it's 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 context, right? I think for a, a lot of people, it's just that difficulty of getting into the emotional side of things when I am uh a one, in a one-on-one conversation, maybe it's how it's going to be portrayed, or again, it's my upbringing, it's what I've been taught. But I, I I could not agree with you more. When we connect with people according to their emotional core, we're going to have better conversations. If you were hiring a salesperson today, what are some of the top qualities that you would look for, Phil?
2: Well, first, you know, passion is really Mm -hmm. important. I wanna see if they're excited about something. I don't care if that's Bruce Springsteen, if that's, you know, serving customers, if that's football, if that's cooking, if that's glass blowing, whatever that is. I wanna see some some passion. I'm gonna see some passion demonstrated because I wanna see their energy. I wanna know that they're gonna get excited for our clients, for those that we serve. That's the first Mm -hmm. thing I'm gonna look for. Second is positivity. I'm gonna to wanna to hear about how did they overcome something that really sucked, right? Cause we've all had adversity, big mm-hmm. or small. How did you overcome that? And then the third thing I wanna hear about is discipline. I want to hear what kind of disciplines do you have? Like how many days in a row have you worked out or how many days in a row uh, have you prospected over 50 people a day? I want to hear that you have that discipline, right? And then the last thing I want to hear about, uh, and there's a few more, but the last thing that we'll talk about today is resiliency. How did you bounce back after you got kicked in the teeth? How did you bounce back after you saw failure? Because I got to tell you, I don't want your first failure to be on my teeth. I want Mm -hmm. your first failure to to have already be behind you so that I can understand that you're going to be able to overcome that because, you know, sales is a lot about no. It's a lot about no. Remember, that's the second best answer we can hear. Yes is being the first best, but no. And then how do you get back up to get back to a sports analogy? How do you become that relief pitcher that just blew a save that blew game seven and then get back out there next season and kick some butt again? Because you're going to hear no. If you make 50 calls, you might hear 48 no's, but that one yes might has to be enough to get you going on in the next call. So those are the the four big ones that I want to hear.
0: Yeah. I think there's a overriding umbrella there to how you deal with your own desire for comfort. Are you a comfort addict? or Are you willing to look at it and say the best things that I will ever accomplish in my career and my life are on the other side of my discomfort? Do you lean in or do you lean away? And that's I think a, a huge part of what makes us for success in sales, because it's it's not a comfortable business to be in. And <laughs> a lot of people try sales, they bail, not because they're not smart enough or not because they're not kind enough, but because they can't deal with the the ongoing stream of discomfort that we're going to see. And uh, when, and yet, you know, when you and I feel when we look at people like we respect and admire at the National Speakers Association, for example, because we have that common, bond there uh we see people who are they are not comfort addicts they're just not mm-hmm. they they their achievement drive is so high that uh, that's not difficult for them to uh, deal with that discomfort uh give us one gerbshack gem here one thing that you tell sales practitioners on a regular basis and maybe it would be advice that you wanted to give to somebody who was fairly new to the sales business
2: well i would encourage them to practice their daily gratitude and to think about what's going well Every single day to focus on that, that'll help develop your resiliency. It'll help you develop your discipline and it'll get you up on those days that really suck. And how we do that. First of all, we got to sit up straight in our chair. We got to really think about how do we breathe and what is in our head and surround ourselves and not with other salespeople who aren't making quota, but with people who are doing amazing things. And that means you might have to listen to a podcast like this one. It means you might have to read a book. It might mean that you have to turn off the nightly news and instead turn on something better. And every day, either begin your day with three to five things that you're really grateful for or end your day with three to five things that you're really grateful for. Cause that'll get you going through the tough times. Cause as a salesperson, new or experienced, you're going to get kicked in the teeth. You're going mm-hmm. to get customers that are upset. So why not develop that gratitude muscle as much as you can and get that as strong as you can so that when the tough times come and they will, you'll be ready for
0: them. I love it. You're speaking my language. I, I happen to use the the five minute journal on my phone. It's every morning at 7 a.m. It asks, what are you grateful for? Uh, this morning and every night at nine o'clock it asks what are the best part of your day and it's a great way it pops up automatically and it keeps me focused in on that gratitude uh, um, um, checkup so a a great great uh, piece of advice right there how can people find you phil
2: the easiest way is to go to linkedin search for gerbyshak g-e-r-b-y-s-h-a-k search for gerbyshak you're going to find me feel free to send me a connection request tell me you heard me on Jeff's show.
0: Love it. Love it. Love it. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, As always, just great stuff. Thanks for all you do to really to make the industry better. I appreciate your energy, your enthusiasm, your excitement, your intelligence, and your experience. Phil, thanks for being on The Buyer's Mind. Thanks for having me, Jeff. So, Murph, I had promised our audience that uh, we we're going to be talking to somebody who is clearly passionate, and I think you would agree with me that Phil Grubashek is clearly passionate.
1: Well, and I love having Phil on the show because he brings such positive energy, and, and if you follow him at all, and I do, uh, on social media, you, you just you can't get away from it. He's amazing.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Well, and you said something really interesting here. You said he brings that great energy. And I thought that was really telling when Phil said, "If if you're hung up on the word emotion, just replace it with energy if you have to, because that's really what we're looking for is that sense of positive energy. And of course, here at Shore Consulting, even behind closed doors, we talk about that positive energy trait as being critical on a regular basis, don't we?
1: We do. And one of the other things we celebrate all the time is that attitude of gratitude.
0: Yeah, which is such an important component of positive energy and and how you feel, uh, not just about your organization, but about your own life. I, I also love our conversation with Phil about stories and, and uh, the idea that, uh, well, what what was Phil's quote? Stories are what people remember after they've forgotten the facts. I thought that was really, really telling and very insightful, didn't you?
1: Yep. Well, that's actually one of the notes I wrote down and I was going to use, but you beat me to it. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The idea here, and I think it, Phil pointed this out, and I think it's so critical, is that great stories, that's what they do. Great stories convey positive emotion, right? Great stories convey emotion. And when you think about great storytellers, they are people who know how to get in touch first with their own emotion and then the emotion of the people that they are talking to. It's not a matter of being manipulative. It's a matter of reaching into the part of the human soul that we all have and oftentimes do not let come out. And fair warning for those of you who are factual and tactical and stoic in your approach, you're going to be selling in a way that's different than your customer wants to buy. So I would agree with Phil with the idea that Building those stories, those stories even of other customers and the journey that they have gone through and and how their problem was solved and their life got better. But more than that, I would encourage you as a sales practitioner to don't be bashful. Demonstrate your emotion. Show your own emotional endorsement for the opportunity in front of the customer. Now, look, if you think that you've got just flat the wrong solution, this isn't good for my customer. That's a different case. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you believe that you've got the best solution for your customer, and I hope you do feel that way, then you owe it to them to offer your own emotional endorsement. Your opportunity to say to them, let me tell you why I want to show this for you. Let me tell you why I think this is good for you. You owe that to them. That, that is something that they are not going to figure out on their own. That is why you are there. So may I encourage you, don't be bashful, and in fact, try it today. Get outside your emotional zone. Try it today to be able to dive in and connect on your emotion and then transfer that. Remember, we're not asking you to be emotional. It's not about grabbing a box of Kleenex here and wiping away a poignant tear. It's simply about selling from the heart more than selling from the head. You're going to use your head. We know that. But selling from the heart is so very powerful. That's the opportunity that we have. And when we do that right, we can make a profound difference to change someone's world. Hey, listen, if you're liking the podcast, make sure you're subscribing to our five minute sales training comes out every Saturday morning directly to your inbox for a five minute part technique, part pick me up totally for free. Just go over to jeffshore.com right now and you can sign up for the five minute sales training. Until next time, go out there and change someone's world.